quick note, we're in the process of um, planning for our anniversary service for next year. Our church anniversary is the third Saturday, third Sunday, excuse me, in March. And uh, we are planning for a time get together. You might have some things that will be helpful for us in the planning. You might have some pictures. Um, so uh, you might have some ideas of, of how to present that. The service is going to be centered around what God has done. God has done this work in this ministry in Sweet Communion. It's not an anniversary for me. It's not. Um, it's not a Founders Day type thing. It's an. It's a work that God has done here at Sweet Communion. So I want you to be thinking, and praying about that. And again, if you have anything that uh, we can be used, that can be used, uh, let us let our leadership team know so that we can put that together, <coughs> or make some plans for that. So be thinking about that. Okay, in our series in Acts, Acts chapter 15, let us pray is the topic that we've been looking at. As we see God's work being done, we, uh, our eyes are open to different things we want to pray about. Look at Acts 15, the chapter, Acts 15, the events that happened there. Remind us to pray for a couple of things, and that's what I want to focus on today. We pray for unity around God's word. Unity around God's word. In Acts 15, an issue came up amongst the believers there. Um, in fact, believers all over. You know the gospel, the, the uh, outline of Acts is Jesus wanted them to be witnesses there in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. We already saw on Paul's first missionary journey that that was, that was um, being done. So they went into various areas. And when you go to the uttermost parts of the world, the gospel started reaching out to the Gentiles, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles. When this happened, the issue came up, what's required to be saved? There were some Judaizers who wanted Gentiles to obey the law in order to be saved. They thought that was necessary. That brought up a lot of debate, healthy debate. What is the gospel centered around? What is the requirement for salvation? Um, and so that healthy debate was good. It, when we have debate, we need to center the discussion around God's word. God's word is the, is, is, is the one and only that's important when it comes to what, what should be followed concerning it, uh, what his word teaches. His word tells us that. And so we can see that model set for us in Acts 15. They debated, they came, and they discussed, and they really wanted to see what was God doing, what was God doing, and um, how did that fit in his word? How did that go along with what God's word said? And so we see that being done in Acts 15. <clears throat> James, in verse 13, talked about uh, what had happened and how that related to what had God spoken in the Old Testament, verses 16 through 17, 16 through 18. He quotes a passage from the Old Testament. Um, this is what I call gospel-centered resolution. Um, when they had an issue, they resolved it based on what the gospel says, based on what the word of God says. Hear me out. It's not based on compromise. 
Doctrinal issues are not based on compromise. Biblical issues are not based on compromise. That sounds weird to some people. Um, but we don't declare what God says. We understand what God says. He says what he says. We need to understand what that is. Not based on what well, you think is this and I think is this and we'll just meet halfway. Doctrinal issues are not based on compromise. Having said that, there was some compromise to be made in this issue. Let's talk about what that means. Notice what the solution was. Verse 19, this is what James says. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. So he says, there's no negotiating on that, what it takes to be saved. There's no negotiating. God had planned all along that the Gentiles will be included in those who Christ died for. And in fact, it, it, was, it was his plan from day one. There's no compromise in that. But verse 20, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. What, what James was advocating was an understanding of culture, understanding of Jewish culture, where these people were coming from, so that Gentiles would not do things that are intentionally an offense to Jewish culture. So it did not involve a compromise of teaching and what the Word of God says, but the living it out involved a compromise and understanding of sensitivity, even to culture, and to where different people came from. So I want, I want us to kind of wrestle with that and understand there's no compromise on the Word of God, what God says. There's an understanding of how cultures tie into that and the impact different people have coming from culture. So he's, he's basically saying the same thing that Paul taught otherwise. He says, don't do anything that's an offense to another brother. That would offend, that would take him out, that would hinder him from following God's word. He says, if meat offends my brother, what? I won't eat it. He didn't say it's not okay. It's not a matter of, is it right not to eat it? Is it right not to not eat it? <laughs> Should that be a debate? That wasn't a debate. Debate was, does this hinder my brother in some way? So it's not changing the gospel. It's not compromising on the gospel, but there is a sensitivity to how the way we live affects each other because we are connected. practical modern-day um, um, examples of that. If my not wearing a tie is an issue to people hearing the gospel, I'll wear a tie to the day I die. Because that's not a biblical thing. As far as I know, it hasn't been an issue. So that's one of those, that's a cultural thing, isn't it? It's a cultural thing. I have to admit, when I, when I see different things in church or see different things in, in the pulpit, the way people do different things, 
it offends my sensitivities and my cultures, but it's not direct opposition to the word of God. And so if it offends in such a way that it prohibits me from, from doing something, I need to talk. I need to bring that out. I need to share that. And perhaps something needs to be done in that way. But it's not a compromise on the teaching of, of the gospel, what the gospel involves. So I'm glad to see they, they actually did that. <clears throat> and in fact, we see that being done. We see a model of that. Um, I have time. Let's, let's get to the end of the chapter, Acts 15. Here we have a matter of, of preference. Verse 36 through 41, we have the issue with John Mark, right? Paul said, I want to take, I don't want to take that guy. I don't think he's fit for, for ministry with me. Silas said, man, Paul, don't be so rough. He's just a young guy. Now, he didn't say that. I'm, I'm just projecting what he may have thought. But there was some, there was some uh, disagreement on whether he should be included. The disagreement was so strong, Paul says, no, no way. I'm not, I'm not going with him. Silas said, I mean, uh, Barnabas said, hey, I, I want to take him. Verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with him John Mark. He ended up taking him. But Paul says no, so he went with Silas, and they went somewhere else. I call this section, the gospel continues in spite of personal differences. Because that's exactly what we see. Paul and Silas went on, and they did their work. And um, Barnabas and Mark went on, and God had a work for them to do. Um, without judging who was right and who was wrong, what I do see is God's sovereignty worked so that he used them in such a way the gospel went out regardless. Now, they did need to resolve that. We talked about it in our study in, in Colossians, how it was resolved. And uh, we did talk about the issue that was a sin issue, and that is Mark deserting, giving up, and that's something that, that he needed to correct. Perhaps Paul needed to correct a uh, forbearance issue. I don't know if that, that is the case or not. We do know that Barnabas had more of a bending spirit, and uh, through his spirit, perhaps he was able to recover or reclaim Mark um, I don't know. I don't go too far with that because um, um, maybe it's Paul's stance that showed Mark needed to make some changes. Um, so we don't, we don't know exactly how that went, and you may have a difference of opinion uh, or see that thing differently. Um, but in spite of that, the gospel went on. But the example I wanted to use is actually in chapter 16 of the gospel sensitivity to cultural issues. Uh, in chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. Let's read that. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. All right, so we see the scene set up already. There, we are in the middle of a huge issue with what do the Jews require of the Gentiles, believers, and now we have a guy who's Jew and Gentile. Father's a Gentile, mother is a Jew. Verse 2, 
He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. That's Timothy. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Was Paul obligated? Was Timothy obligated to be circumcised? No. Was Paul obligated to circumcise him? No. Could he have served in ministry and not have been circumcised? Or, or uh, yes, without being circumcised? Yes, he could. Would he have violated any letter of the law of Scripture? No, he wouldn't. But Paul decided, being sensitive to the culture that I'm reaching out to, I don't want a barrier between the gospel and these people. And so I'm going to follow scripture wholeheartedly but in ways that I can compromise and, and, and reach out to people I'll do that in appropriate ways without changing bending or compromising the gospel in any way and that's what he did that's what he did so we see a beautiful example of that laid out there early we see the issue being resolved in chapter 15 we see it being lived out in chapter 16 and so we pray. What can we pray for? We can pray for unity around the word, that the word of God would not be compromised here at Sweet Communion, that the word of God would be preached and lived without compromise. Uh, we can pray, secondly, that the gospel will continue in spite of personal differences, that we would not let any of our personal differences stop us from ministering in the gospel the way that God would have us to do. We can pray for that. That's needed us to pray for and we can pray that God will make us rightly sensitive and responsive to the culture that we minister to in such a way that the gospel is fully effective and not hindered in any way we can pray for that we can pray for that that we be sensitive to that um, with our first allegiance going to gospel without compromise and then how does God want us to <clears throat> work the framework of that gospel in the cultures that we minister to. We can pray for that. And so we pray. Hey, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. For your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear they shall not enter his rest? but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief.
Essene is an old scripture that talks about an older scripture. Essene is a psalm. And a psalm is a song that has a narrative in it. Not a lot of songs have that, right? And in this song, God speaks himself. The song has God himself singing. And God sings and he says, please don't rebel because I've dealt with rebellions before. Don't forget, and God paints an image back to when they walked through the desert lands, after they left Egypt, after the great plagues had hit and destroyed the empire of Egypt. And Egypt couldn't even hold on to its slaves anymore. And Moses led the slaves out and through the middle of the sea. And after they had escaped the empire, the people probably felt secure. But just because you've been rescued by God, one worked out an end, so what I did was right. And I have to say that that is certainly not. And I believe we all can fall into that kind of thinking where we justify ourselves. We say to ourselves, yeah, yeah, that did was wrong, but look what happened because. Because, because, because. Not recognizing strength of force that God used to turn our it was good that Jesus died on a cross for our sins those who drove the nails into his hands are still good have still done evil so God's ability to turn the circumstances deserves the praise and no one else does so we praise him and him alone God alone he alone is worthy of praise he alone stands. And we can sing of. And we don't have to be embarrassed when we sing. You know, if you sing about me or you sing about somebody else, a few minutes later, we're going to do something that make you regret that. But when you sing about the Lord, he never lets you down. You never will regret listening to the Lord. He said they will not enter my rest. Now, rest is such a beast. When we think about it, we're in the middle of our week and we can be tired. But you know what? On this planet, you will never really get the rest that your soul. Baby, what if a little blanket flew over his head and he couldn't breathe when he was sleeping? I think about that. So if I hear him coughing or something, I might wake up. If I hear a movement or something in my house, I get up. I look around the house, even though I was somebody just sneaking in my house, right? If they broke in, I would hear it loud. But you know what? still get up and look all around the house. I'll be pretending like they playing hide and seek, like they really gonna hide underneath the couch, but I look under there. Because even in my own house, I don't have rest. Even when I go to sleep, I don't have rest. Even when I'm among friends, in the back of my mind, I know something bad could happen. Because when we're on this planet, we are always in danger. Lay down, and ain't nobody gonna steal anything from you. You can walk away from somebody that's your loved one, and you don't have to think in the back of your mind, I might never see them again in the land of the living. And realize even the way they hold their face is different when they're alive than when they did. Sometimes people, just the way they hold their face is just completely different. They're animated. When we get to heaven, I believe we will look different. Something else going on? You got to worry about that in heaven.
So we look forward to God's rest. But how did they make God's rest? They didn't take God seriously when he said what he said. Even though God was standing right in the midst of them, a pillar of fire. Evening, saints. Um, today I want to continue to focus on pastors for our prayer, Pastors Appreciation Month. Um, and the topics I want to pray about. I also want to pray for our Grace Partner pastors. Um, obviously, they're in this battle with us. Um, and then also, and just inside of that, is Mike, too, because he was with us, too, you know, kind of supported him through his journey as being a pastor. So we'll focus on that. Who wants to be volunteers to pray? Aaron, what do you want to pray for? Because you volunteered first. You want to do pastor wives or grace partners? Okay. And then who else? Charles? You want to get Grace Partners? Right? And then I'll close this up in prayer. Lord, we just lift up um, Pastor Brian and Brian Kenner, Lord. The men you've put in, in place over us. We just thank you so much for giving us godly men and godly men that have a zeal for you. And we just praise you for that. And we praise you for um, their wives and um, the support they give to these men um, sometimes when these men are hurt or when they're sh going through struggles we see their struggles but we don't see the struggles that their wives are feeling the same the same pain and the same hurt And um, we ask that you just continue to lift up those families and continue to bless them um, continue to encourage them in um, their ministry and um, it's um, very um, valuable and very um, important task that you've given them um, for us that we we benefit from their ministry and we benefit from them um, continuing to point us to you and lead us towards you we we thank you and we ask that you lift up um, the grace partner pastors um, as they um, father their flocks and their churches and they are godly men as well and um, how they continue to just uh, work to lead your body, our fellow um, brothers and sisters in Christ to you and the work that they're doing for your ministry and um, all the things that they do in the, all our pastors and their pastors, the late nights, the extra work that they do for their congregation. We just thank you for them. We also lift up Michael and Rhonda uh, as they were part of our church, Lord, and all their pastors as well. We just um, praise you for that and allowing him to go on that journey and um, that he is allowed to um, pastor at the church he's at now, and we just thank you for um, strengthening him and growing him in you as well. In your name we pray. Amen. 